Hello and welcome to Starting Over with Shannon. This is a podcast about fresh starts, new chapters and embracing change and challenge to become a better version of ourselves and create a better world around us. I'm your host Shannon Jenkins and every week I'll be bringing you a different Starting Over story with tips on how to conquer life's difficulties to find greater joy, meaning and purpose. Hey, a quick request before we start. Data shows that 75% of people who listen to this podcast haven't clicked follow. But by doing so, you could not only help me out as a podcaster, but also ensure that the quality of the content and the people who come on the show only gets better and better. So big thank you to those of you who do that in advance. Now, this episode today, I think will be for you in particular... If you are feeling uninspired at work and like you need a bit of a change, but you're not quite sure of the next step, or you're possibly thinking of a complete start over or pivot into another direction, and maybe you will even want to launch your own business. Now, our guest today is Australian online business strategist, Steph Taylor. She has a podcast called Imperfect Action that has clocked over 1.5 million downloads. And through coaching and online courses, she's helped thousands of clients to launch their own businesses. So on this episode today, we speak about her own two starting overs. So first in quitting a corporate job to start her own business. And second in deciding to close her first business and start over with another So you will hear all about the mistakes she made and what she wishes she had have known in hindsight and what she would have done differently as well. She also shares some reflections and advice on how you can get started with your own business, why strategy is more important than tactics, how you can also handle the fear and uncertainty that will more than likely arise and common mindset barriers to success. I think this is a really important discussion and one that I thoroughly enjoyed and I think you will enjoy it too. Now, if you know of any aspiring entrepreneurs who'd be interested in this conversation, please do share it with them. But with no further ado, here is my conversation with Steph. Steph, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Starting Over with Shannon. I'm very much looking forward to hearing your personal story and for people to get, maybe allow themselves to start contemplating a bit more seriously whether becoming an entrepreneur or starting their own business or side hustle is something for them. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, me too. And look, if our conversation today can inspire even just one person to make the leap, then I'll be very, very happy. So let's go. (laughs) Well, where I want to start, actually, we've got a couple of starting over themes here. And the first one that I want to go over to is you working in a corporate job, but just deciding to leave to start your own business. So can you walk us through where you were working and what your life was like and what was the frustration point that made you decide to take that leap to starting your own business? Yeah, so I was I was in one of those sort of big corporate grad programs and I was working in a corporate finance team and it was one of those things at the back of my mind where I thought, oh, you know, hundreds of people have applied for this job and there was one spot and I got that. So I should be so grateful to have this job. And I was so excited because I thought, you know, this is my this is my life beginning. This is where it all begins. My career is going to be so exciting. I've studied so hard to get here. And it actually ended up being nothing at all like that. I I mean, I really didn't get to use my brain that much at work. When, when you studied for four years to get a job that you think is going to be using your brain more than your degree, and then you end up filing and photocopying and faxing documents, like I, I don't even know, <laughs> faxing documents was, yeah, that was my reality every single day. And 
it kind of it got to a point where I actually started listening to a lot of business podcasts to just pass the time. And I remember being there, faxing these documents, photocopying these documents and filing and thinking at the back of my mind, oh, if maybe one day I could start a business. Maybe one day I would have that freedom to not be turning up, sitting at my desk or sitting by the photocopier all day long and actually use my brain and have that freedom to travel outside of the couple of weeks of annual leave that I have every year. So that was, I guess, where it all started. Had you done business at school? Yes. So I had I had a business degree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that was, um, I guess, like I've always been business minded, but nobody I knew had started a business. So other than these podcasters who I was listening to, there was nobody in my life who I could actually look up to and say, oh, this person's done it, so so can I. Uh, and I think that's probably something that's changed a lot. Maybe something we can talk about as well today is how now we have so many role models to look up to, but back then there wasn't really anybody. Yeah, absolutely. So what was the frustration? What made you decide to take the leap? Um. I don't know if it was so much a frustration as it was a desire. So I had that desire to start a business. And I think as soon as I realized that, my brain started looking for ideas. And what happened was I actually decided to give up sugar one one summer, one New Year's resolution was I'm going to quit sugar. And after that, I realized actually there's no, there wasn't anywhere in Australia that I could go to to find good sugar-free snacks. So out of that, I came up with the idea for my first business, which was a subscription box each month where you would get all of these nice, yummy, sugar-free snacks delivered to you. Um, I I made every mistake in the book. I thought it was a great idea. Nobody else thought it was a great idea. Uh, But that's that's not really part of the story, I suppose, yet. Um, So that that was the first business idea. And I started side hustling, bringing that to life alongside working full-time in my job. And it was full-time plus a lot of overtime. So I was getting up and I think I was getting up at about four o'clock in the morning, working for like three hours on my business, then going and starting my day job. And I'd be there till seven o'clock at night, most nights. So it was a very, very crazy busy time. And I actually, uh, a couple of months into juggling those two, I was playing a game of netball and I just couldn't breathe. Like I was standing there gasping for air and I had no idea what was happening. I actually, I went and lay down on the sidelines and I started crying and I'm not somebody who really ever cries in public, but I just remember lying there on the sidelines, couldn't breathe. Even when I got home, still couldn't breathe. And I actually went and lay in the bathtub for a few hours and that was slowly, slowly, I started to be able to breathe again. Now in hindsight, I know that was a panic attack. I'd never had one before. I had no idea what brought it on. It could only have been the amount of stress that I was under juggling both of those things. Um, and then the next morning I woke up with back pain. And by that night I was in hospital with a kidney infection for a week. Wow. <laughs> so that was that was kind of the Our bodies tell us what's going on, everything. don't they? Yeah. They do. They do. And for so long, my body had been saying, something's not right. Something's not right. You're burning yourself out. You're exhausted. You're stressed. And I had to literally get sick to stop. And while I was in hospital, I was in so much pain. But I remember lying there in my hospital bed being like, oh, I don't have to go to work tomorrow. This is nice. And it was. It's so sad when you think about it now. It's like I literally had to get sick to, yeah, to, to stop, to slow down. But that was like the turning point where I realized I needed to get out. Mm. Well, I don't think you're alone there. I've certainly had that experience myself of the sickness thing that you're describing. Like, oh, I can actually have permission to pause. And it's often because we don't give ourselves permission to pause either. We assume that it is the external constraints, but actually more often than not, potentially it's internal, I think. Like us not allowing ourselves to go a bit slower or to ask for what we need or to set boundaries and limits where people are asking too much of us. And it's a big, a big learning, but you clearly had that forced pause and that led you to quit, resign your position. Well, it it led to the events that led me to quit. So, (laughs) I mean, it's never just one thing, right? So my first day out of hospital, so I was very, very sick. Uh, My parents live in New Zealand. They flew over to Australia to be there with me because they were actually very worried about me. 
Uh, and I was on super strong antibiotics for that whole week as well. And then my first day out of hospital, I was barely staying awake the whole day. And my boss at the time calls me up and asks, hey, when can I drop your laptop off? Mm, and that was like the light bulb of, wow, okay, these people don't care. And then my first day back at work, I got back and my desk was just piled with mountains and mountains of things that I needed to do. And I was still like, I, I would get to 3 p.m. and I couldn't focus. I was just exhausted. And I I left at five o'clock on the dot. And then I remember my manager at the time, she said to me, she said, your boss has, well, like our boss, he wanted me to have a word with you for leaving at 5 p.m. But she's like, I know you're sick, so that's okay. But my boss was angry that I was leaving at 5 p.m. because I had so much work to do. Um, wow. So that, yeah, that was really, that was the thing that led me to resign. I think about two weeks later, I handed in my resignation. My business was not profitable at that point in time. Well, it was profitable, but it wasn't enough to cover my mortgage, my food, any of my expenses. But I also knew that I just had to get out of that situation. And I knew that I had enough savings to cover me for a couple of months and I knew I would just figure it out. But anything could be better than what I was in. Do you remember the emotions that you felt at the moment of quitting? Was it mixed? Because what I imagine in that situation, I think I've certainly had it myself in in resigning. There was a, I'm I'm relieved, quite honestly. Like, okay, finally I've I've made that decision. It felt easier. But then I also had the fear of not knowing the next step. The I guess sense of insecurity that comes with wondering whether you've made the right choice, you know, second guessing it. What was it like for you? Uh, oh, there was a, it was a really it was a mixed bag of emotions because a lot of people in my life didn't think it was a great idea. Uh, my parents are my biggest fans now, but back then they were like, "What are you doing? You have studied for so long to get to where you are. You have a job that everybody wants. You know, you're just you're just being lazy. You're not working hard enough. This is." reality of work. Like you've got to work. It's not going to be all fun and games like studying was. And they, yeah, they really thought I was just throwing everything away. Um, and I, yeah, I felt really kind of, I felt afraid that I was going to fail. I think that was probably the biggest one was oh, I've gone and quit my job. What are all of these people around me going to say if this doesn't work out? And I actually, I didn't fully tell the truth to the people I was resigning to. I, didn't tell them I was going to start a business in case it failed. I told them I was going back to study um, because I, yeah, I just couldn't face the, I don't know, the vulnerability of, hey, I think I can, I think I have this idea and I think I can make it work. But here I am, you know, young little 23-year-old who has this beautiful idea and you've been in the business space for so many years, you're going to laugh at me. So yeah, that was, yeah, it was those mixed emotions. And then I think the first my first day of unemployment was, ah, oh, I have so much space and time and I can go and have coffee in the middle of the day if I want to. And it was, it was this beautiful relief followed by probably the next week of anxiety of like, how am I going to pay the bills? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it was a roller coaster and it, yeah. it has been a roller coaster ever since. Mm. So walk us through a little bit of what that business was, what it looked like and you actually realizing that it wasn't working? Yeah. So I think the very first mistake that I made was I assumed that something that sells is a good idea. Like it has to be a good idea for it to sell. And if it's a good idea, if it's a unique idea, it will sell. I, I thought it was a good idea. It was something that I wanted and I needed. I didn't actually do any kind of testing to see if there were other people that wanted it. And if there were enough other people that wanted it, in Australia, because it's too expensive to ship overseas, if there were enough people in Australia who wanted that product for it to be viable and to generate enough of a profit. That was the first thing. The second thing, the second big mistake I made, which I don't even know how I made that considering I had an accounting degree, um, was I the numbers just didn't work. So I think I was selling each box for about $40. The cost of the products that were going into the boxes were around $15 and shipping could be anywhere between $15 to $20 per box, depending wow. where in Australia people lived. So I was making $10 profit per box. I was also packing each of those boxes myself because you actually can't outsource the logistics until you have, well, 
at that stage, it might have it might be different now that e-commerce has grown a lot as an industry here. But back then, you had to be sending out, I think it was a thousand orders a month. So I would have had to be packing 999 boxes a month before it got to the point where I could actually outsource that and making $10 profit per box. So it just, the numbers didn't add up. The business model just didn't work. And even though I did have customers and it was growing, it just wasn't, that was that realization that, oh, I don't want to be packing 999 boxes. And it wasn't so much, I don't like to think of it as a failure so much as a a realization of this was never going to work in the first place, but I learned so much from it. Mm. Well, I wanted to ask you that actually with your views on failure, because I think we need to have a total rethink around what failure means in general. And a lot of people, I think, in this industry, this space of self-development, spiritual growth, they will say there is no such thing as failure. Like it literally, like you might think of it as being that, but that led you to something better in the future. You learned the lessons you needed to learn to be able to do better in the next thing that you took. It can be a, a, a rebalancing or setting you on a different path. So I think a lot of the time it's actually the mindset that we adopt towards this deemed failure and what that means for our own self-esteem. So I think if we have that lack of self-trust actually which I hear was present for you on some level you know like why you didn't want to tell other people you didn't want to admit the truth to your bosses because there was a sense of internal sense for you of oh gosh I actually am not sure that I'm going to be able to do this do I have what it takes do I and that questioning I think a lot of people would use the so-called failure here of you closing one business to start another as a reason why you can't do it and you can't be successful and you need to go back and get a job. So praise to you for whatever journey that took you on to let that so-called failure redirect you. Yeah. And so, I mean, I did I, I did actually take a job briefly there. Uh, while I was still running that business, I went and got a part-time job three days a week at a startup heading up their marketing. And that for me was like the best decision I could have made because the people I met, the things I learned, that was that set everything else in motion. But I honestly, I believe failure speeds up your success. And I think I would not be where I am right now had I not failed. Like if somebody said to me, hey, you can redo it all and you can skip the failure that you had at the start of your business career. I would say, no, I actually want that failure because it taught me so much. It taught me a lot of resilience. It taught me that you can fail and you can learn from it. And it taught me how to apply those lessons. Yeah. So there was a lot that I could take from that, that I think actually sped up the rest of my journey. And I'm so glad I learned it so early on, because I think there are a lot of people I see now who are starting businesses who are so afraid to fail because they think that if they fail, that's the end. And because they're afraid to fail, they're not taking actions that are bold enough to really move them to where they want to be. Uh, whereas I was, I was pretty young and dumb back then. And like failing at 23 is not the same as failing in your thirties. So I'm very glad that I failed back then. <laughs> yeah. I also like that you mentioned the point about taking another job, because I can imagine that would have, in addition to the skills you learned that you apply now in your current business, I think it would have also eased some of the fear around insecurity because yeah. I think a lot of people maybe people listening right now who've thought about launching their own business or maybe starting as you did with it being something they do in addition to their employment that the fear can be paralyzing of like oh but I'm not going to earn enough money I'm not maybe you know so I think actually going okay I took that decision that was right for me to actually take some work but still actually giving myself some space to create or birth this new thing into the world. Yeah. Well, I had to. I had to get a job. Like I literally ran out of savings. Yeah. <laughs> I had no choice. <laughs> yeah. So where did the idea come for the the new business now? Yeah. So basically over the space of about 12 months, I closed down I, I was working in that part-time role. I closed down the first business. And I just worked part-time for a little while and started doing a bit of marketing consulting with clients on the side. And I, at the back of my mind, I thought, oh, maybe I'll grow this into an agency. And I started, I hired a few people and I started growing it. 
And I realized, actually, I don't want to run an agency. When you have an agency, you are not the person who's doing the work. I love marketing. I don't love managing people. But when you run an agency, you end up managing people rather than doing the marketing, unfortunately. Um, So I realized that. And at the same time, my partner at the time and I, we were planning to spend a good chunk of time over in Europe. So I had a deadline. I thought, okay, I can't be working with all these Aussie-based clients while I'm over in Europe. The time zones are just too difficult. It's going to be such a nightmare. And I started creating my first online course at the same time. So I had this deadline. I was going to quit my job. Well, I had to quit my job because they didn't want me to be working remotely. And I um, was going to launch this course and I was going to let go of a few clients all by the time I flew out on, I think it was November 9, 2017. Uh, so that was that was the goal. And it happened. I worked really hard and I managed to get all of those ducks in a row. And I let go of a bunch of clients. I launched that course. That course generated enough income that I could travel around for a little bit in Europe. I still had a few clients on the go, but it was enough that I could travel around without constantly having to be working every single day. And for a while there, I was like the the marketing generalist. I was you know, teaching a bunch of different marketing courses, working with a bunch of different marketing clients. I started the podcast, which was a general marketing podcast. It used to be called Socialette before I rebranded it. And it, it was going okay for a while there, but I was finding it really hard to actually sell anything. And I realized it was because people came to me for the free marketing content on my podcast but then they went to the specialists. They went to the marketing specialists, the Facebook ad specialists, the Instagram specialist, the Pinterest specialist when they actually wanted to buy a course or when they wanted to work with somebody. So that was sort of the the beginning of that next pivot. Uh, but I'll I'll pause there for a second because there's quite a lot to this whole story. Yeah, a few layers. Well, I think what the, what's coming up for me now is actually I'm hearing so you've you've pivoted as such you've you've started over in like closing one business starting another but then also the rebranding element with your podcast from socialette to now imperfect action what informed those decisions for you yeah so actually rebranding from socialette to imperfect action only happened last year it only happened in 2022 so that was a really recent one and that was something that was informed by uh, I'd been at, I was speaking at Inbound, which is a big ma- marketing conference in Boston last year. And it was a live podcast episode. And I realized this was the first time that I'd been in front of an audience of marketing professionals rather than predominantly female business owners. And where most chicks are like, yeah, socialette's such a cute name. These marketing professionals were like, what is a socialette? And that was the point where I realized, hang on, the name that has served my podcast to this point for the last five years is not going to be the same name that serves it in this next iteration of my journey. And ever since I rebranded it, it's been so clear that like the download numbers are up. People are clicking through to listen to it. it, it people love the new format. So that was purely like a, that was a gut feeling, but also, a, oh, I think, you know, the responses I'm getting from people aren't quite what I'm trying to get. So that was why I rebranded the podcast. But the the niching down, I, I call it niching down more than pivoting because I niched down from being a marketing generalist to being a, you know, like a launch marketing specialist, essentially. Okay. And the process of that was purely, I went and I sat down with a business coach to do a strategy. And I said to her, I said, Next year, I want to launch a course about email marketing. I want to launch a course about Pinterest. I want to launch a course about this. I want to launch a course about that. And then I said to her, but my big problem is that nobody really knows what I do. Everybody comes to me for the free stuff, but nobody buys from me. And she said to me, she said, well, look, she's like, it sounds like your thing is launching because everybody wants to launch courses, but everybody's afraid to do it. You're the only person who actually enjoys doing it. And that was this big light bulb of, oh yeah, obviously, like I like it, I'm good at it and it's a skill that I can teach to other people. So that was what drove that little pivot, niching down, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, big thanks to that coach, huh? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, because this has been a business for you that's really taken off, isn't it? Like I know you said in terms of numbers, like you you said you were at like 100 grand one year, then up to a million 
was that after the rebranding of the podcast that was niching down into launching in particular that was the before and after of the niching down the podcast rebrand didn't happen until last year okay so that was just from 2019 to 2020 yeah wow so what do you think looking back were some of the main barriers to success for you in terms of your mindset and were there shifts in that that led you to the success you have now Ooh, I think my pride was probably getting in the way a lot earlier on in my business, uh, especially in that first business. I think I held on to, you know, a sinking ship for far too long because I was too proud to say, hey, this thing that I went out on a limb to try didn't work. I failed, you know, so that was I think that got in the way a lot. It also got in the way further on, you know, each pivot that I went through there was always an element of pride wrapped around that, a little bit of ego of like, what are, what are people going to think of me? That fear of judgment every time. Another big one for me was confidence. You know, now I'm so comfortable on a podcast. Now I'm happy to show up and teach a webinar live. I'm happy to show up on social media. I do video content. Like I do all of those things now. And a lot of people actually say to me, they're like, oh, well, Steph, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to do con- I'm afraid to like show up. I'm afraid to do a podcast. I'm afraid to do a video because I'm not confident. And I'm like, well, neither was I. And I was so afraid. Like the biggest fear that I had was that people who I had gone to school with or people who I had worked with were going to see a video that I put on the internet or listen to a podcast episode that I put online. And like that took a lot of work to overcome that. And it's something that, you know, I tiptoed in a little bit. And the more I did it, the more comfortable I became doing it. I also think with podcasting, I used to be so, so self-conscious of my voice. I have a very blended accent. This is my podcasting voice now. Uh, I've refined it a bit, but I used to be so self-conscious of my accent because I've lived in a lot of different countries and I've always been the person with the funny accent. So for a while there, like, I was like, oh, I don't want to listen to my voice. Do other people want to listen to my voice? Are people going to make fun of it? And it taught me to love my voice. So I think, yeah, it was really that pride, that fear of judgment and the the lack of confidence. Mm. And I think just pure exposure, you know, putting myself out there and doing that has helped me so much to work through that. Yeah. And I guess that is really key to the message of your podcast now, taking imperfect action, isn't it? Messy action, like taking the steps forward with fear. You know, people often think that they have to completely overcome the fear before they can do the thing but it is so not true what are your views on that oh I don't think you can overcome the fear until you do the thing you know you can sit there and you can think about it it's like you know like it's like jumping into a freezing cold swimming pool or an ice bath or the cold ocean right you can stand there and you can hype yourself up about it and you can be like yeah this is fine I'm not gonna die like it's just cold water but then when it comes to actually taking that step into the pool or that step into the ocean or diving under that wave, it's so hard to do that because our brain is literally talking ourselves out of doing that. And it's it's funny that I think it's, I forget the exact number that it is with cold plunges, with ice baths. It's like, I think it's seven times, seven consecutive days of doing it or seven times of doing it before your brain stops talking you out of doing that. Before yeah, your yeah. brain realizes, oh, I've done it seven times. I haven't died yet. I can jump in. No worries. Yeah. And I think it's exactly the same with anything where fear is getting in the way. Yeah, I agree. I uh, On the cold plunge note, me and my partner decided we live in Switzerland, Lake Geneva. So a huge lake, which is bloody freezing <gasps> now in the middle of oh, winter. Beautiful. And on, on New Year's Day, we were like, let's do this. This could be like, you know, the refreshing moment of the new year. I think every part of me was like on fire. That's what it felt like. I was like, I'm so cold. Oh my God. But actually, I felt so good for it afterwards and so proud, actually, of pushing through. And sometimes it is that... We say pushing through, sometimes I say stepping out of our comfort zone because I don't think there always needs to be such a a force, a heavy-handed force to do something. I think it can be gentle. I think you can you yeah. can move in the direction softly, put your toe in and then go, okay, that, that was okay. Okay, now I'm going to go a little bit more. Sometimes, of course, you need to just jump right in and that can be like pulling the Band-Aid off. But I think people find their their own approach, but to know that, fear will be present and that is completely normal. I think that can be quite reassuring and something to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, 
something that really I've been leaning into a lot lately is I used to I used to be one of those people who would look for all of the mindset tips, you know, like I'd have all of the quotes, like feel the fear and do it anyway. And like all of those things saved everywhere. And I realized that you can have all of the tips, but until you take that action and it, yeah, even if it's just a tiptoe, like as long as you're not just only putting that tiptoe in and that's the same thing you're doing every day and you're never getting up to your ankle or your knee, you know, as long as you are c- consistently stretching that comfort zone, I think you could like, you can have all the mindset tips in the world, but if you're not taking action on them, then they're not doing anything. Yeah, absolutely. If you're not actually aligned with what those things are saying like if you're not feeling the fear and doing it anyway well what's the point of having that quote and living by it living by those tips yeah um yeah so I, I agree with consistently just stretching that comfort zone yeah and stretching that comfort zone is the growth zone like I think actually yeah. knowing that and knowing that's also normal that I'm finding this a little bit hard right now I'm learning a new skill this is going to be challenging but as long as it's not the complete stress, overwhelm, anxiety, panic attack, like that's where it's like, okay, too much. But knowing that you can stretch your limits a bit, that's where you need to be to make changes in your life. It's the only way you can make changes in your life. Yeah. And it's beautiful in hindsight as well, because you look back and you think, oh, me five years ago, I would have been feeling so awkward on a podcast interview or like, I wouldn't want to talk into a microphone. And now for me, it's like, oh, cool. This is just another day at work kind of thing. So it's really fun to reflect on the things that used to scare you that you can do now and think about the things in the future that you're afraid of now, but in the future, you won't be afraid of. Yeah, absolutely. Fun. And also a great confidence builder to be able to do that and to look back and go, okay, my former self couldn't do this and I now can. And to use that as a kind of momentum, a motivational force to step into the new unknown. Aside from the taking the messy action and actually doing the thing, were there any personal things that you did such as therapy or retreats or breath work or meditation? Was there anything that you did that helped you improve on your mindset and your confidence and everything surrounding that? Yes, but probably only about three years into my business, I think. Um, I maybe started going into dabbling in those things around 2019. Yeah, I think it was around 2019, 2020. I think it was when everything else you know, around me just kind of fell apart. And there was a lot of fear obviously involved in 2020. And that was when I started looking at other things. And that was when I started working with a therapist. I started working with a mindset coach. I started doing virtual breath work. I started doing, you know, like yoga nidra because it was the one time I could get out of the house. There were a lot of different things that I did start doing. And now I still do those things. I wish I had discovered them earlier. I think the the moment when I realized mindset, your mindset is everything in business and in life and that was probably yeah 2019 that moment was like this big light bulb of oh I've been missing so much yeah could not agree more and it's a story I hear again and again of course what's also giving me the fuel to build what I'm building right now because I hear from so many people that there are self-imposed blocks and limitations there are you know, even if you're having success, can you feel gratitude for that success? Can you be present with it rather than stressing about the future? Like there's so many facets actually that can remove our satisfaction and happiness because of mindset. You know, I had this moment where I was in Costa Rica at the end of last year on a holiday and it was picture perfect. You know, it was that kind of Instagrammable moment. I was snorkeling with turtles around me and on a beautiful beach in a really isolated place with jungle all around, animals all around. And I was stuck in what, yeah, and it was amazing. But you know what? I could not enjoy it that in that moment or that day because of my mindset. And it was, I had this realization of, God, you could really be in paradise as such but if it is if you do not have the inner peace and inner freedom and understand the the impact that your mindset has and your thoughts have on your well-being you will not be in a good place and I think you know I I I knew that already but to have that exact moment of it like yeah this still happens for me and but now the difference is that I 
can become more aware of it more quickly and have a path out of it, a toolkit to use to help myself get into a better place internally, to be able to experience the external better. Yeah. And I think even if you don't have that toolkit, I think even just the awareness is so important, you know, to actually be able to take a step back when you feel, or like if you open your phone, you scroll through Instagram and you see a post from somebody, you know, and they are on holiday in Costa Rica and they're having a beautiful time and you feel, and that triggers you because you're not there, you're not having fun or you can't afford to go or whatever. Having that awareness to be like, oh, I'm feeling triggered right now because I don't feel like that's possible for me or I want what she has or, you know, this thing or that thing or whatever it is that's triggering you. I think even just having that awareness is such an important thing because once you know that it's there, then you can start to work on it, but you can't really work on the things that you don't know are there. Yeah, absolutely. So going back a little bit to you closing this business and starting another one, I want to come to the theme of quitting in general, because I think, I mean, this was certainly my experience growing up, what I think I had heard from family members or society around me that quitting means you're a loser. Quitting is for losers. And that belief does not make space for people to change their lives often for the better. So question for you here is, how do you think we can become better quitters? I think ruthlessly quitting is, I think, you know, quitting anything that's not serving us, like auditing our lives and being like, okay, what is not working in my life? What is not aligned with the life that I'm trying to build? And how can I quit that? Which sounds brutal because, you know, it might be a relationship that's not serving you. And it's not just as simple as, okay, I'm going to quit that. There might be a lot of things you need to do around that. Or it might be something small, like it might be a bad habit. It might be that every day at 3 p.m. you go and you eat a cupcake and you're like, oh, that's maybe not in alignment with the kind of health that I want. So how can I quit that habit? I think, you know, we're always looking at like adding things to our lives. But actually, I think there's a lot of power to remove the things that aren't serving us first, to quit those things first. Yeah, beautiful. And to make space. I love that comment. Yeah. So let's go over to digital entrepreneurship. For, so for maybe people thinking about this, they're, maybe they have been in a place where they're not enjoying their work for a long time and they are contemplating starting their own business, potentially an online business. Let's go over to some of the advice that you would now give as a bit more of a seasoned entrepreneur to help people with first like taking that that leap to leave and also starting to build something. Uh, I'd say first find a mentor. I mean, find somebody who's done what you want to do first because there's so many people out there now. Like we've got such a beautiful online community of people who have started businesses I don't think it's too difficult to find somebody who's walked that path before because you'll be able to learn so much from them. And, you know, if you don't know anybody in your personal network, that might even look like working with a coach or working with somebody like in a group or some kind of some kind of container where you can learn those lessons with the support of somebody who's been there first. Yeah, that was something I really missed. And I didn't have my first proper mentor in business until probably the second or third year. And having that guidance just made such a difference. Um, you know, they stopped me from quitting multiple times, you know, quitting quitting because I was upset, not quitting because I knew it was the right decision. Um, they stopped me from that. So that's probably the first piece of advice. Um, I would say don't you don't need to have a perfect, shiny idea. Like it doesn't have to be this idea. It doesn't have to be the next Uber. It doesn't have to be the next Facebook. Like it doesn't have to be this big shiny idea that nobody has done before. And actually a lot of the time, the best businesses don't come from that shiny idea. They come because you solve a problem for somebody and getting really clear on what problems you can solve with your skill set that will give you ideas on what you could potentially start to do as a business. And you can tiptoe into it. It doesn't have to be this big explosion of fireworks of like, I've started a business and now I'm going to resign. It's like maybe your your version of starting a business is you work with one client while you're working full time. And then maybe 
through word of mouth from that one client, maybe you get your second client. And then maybe you go part-time in your job. And then maybe when you get your third client, maybe then you hand in your resignation. So it can be this beautiful gradual process rather than I've started my business, all of the clients are going to come to me and I'm never going to have to work a full-time job again because it's not that's not normally how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody who's started a business will tell you it's very rare that you get a lot of clients coming to you at the start. Um, so yeah, I would say really making sure that you know like who you're serving, what problem you solve for them. Um, not undercharging yourself, I think is a big one as well. If you're just starting out, if you don't know like what other people in the business space are charging, you could be very tempted to just go based on like to price yourself based on an employee's hourly rate rather than a business owner's hourly rate. And, you know, an employee's hourly rate is what you're getting paid like as a salary after your boss has paid for insurances and taxes and, you know, all of the other things that they have to pay for. Whereas a business owner's hourly rate is before taxes and insurances and all of the other things, all of the expenses. So pricing yourself accordingly, pricing what is fair value to you. And oh, I guess, what else? Um, what do I wish I'd known? I mean, there's so much I wish I'd known. Really putting, getting comfortable putting yourself out there. I think when we start a business, especially online, it can be very tempting to just want to hide behind our laptop screens. And I actually think there's so much benefit in putting yourself out there, not just online, but actually going to other events. And it might be business networking events. That might be where you meet a mentor. It might be some kind of industry events. It might be virtual events. It might be also then showing up on social media. It might be starting a podcast. It might be showing up on YouTube, but getting yourself out there because people won't just find you until you put yourself out there. And I know it's so scary because you're, you're opening yourself up to judgment, but again, it's that tiptoeing and you'll find that people aren't judging you as much as you think they are. Like I still, I mean, touch wood, I haven't been seriously trolled yet. So <laughs> I've had a few nasty comments, but like nobody yeah. has seriously trolled me. Yeah. Yeah. One, I think what you're suggesting here with finding a mentor and going to events, whether like virtual or in person, I think that really assists with the identity shift that often sometimes we need to experience to succeed in that new space. It's like, okay, I am no longer Steph, the finance, I don't know, strategist, advisor, I don't know your exact role, but that like that former you and into going, okay, this is a new thing. I need new skills. I need a new self-concept in some area. And actually having people around you who have got that, I think that helps you to build that in yourself to and also to feel less alone. You know, I think there's a fear of, oh, I'm going on it by myself. And especially if you are experiencing negative judgment from the closest people around you, like how you said with your family, I think that can be a great buffer to that. Like other people who have their success stories that, they, that give you a point to aspire towards. Like that could be yeah, me. I absolutely. could have that. I could build that. It's not impossible. Yeah. And, you know, somebody to be a sounding board because business has its ups and its downs. And at the start, it might feel like there's more downs than ups. And you might actually think, is this worth it? Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I want to quit. And having somebody who can share their stories. I mean, my mentor, when I first started, he's still a really good friend of mine to this day. But he told me when I was wanting to quit one day, he told me about this time when he had to, he started a restaurant and he was $700,000 in debt and he actually had to close the restaurant down because the bank came and literally closed it for him. Wow. And, you know, reflecting on that and it's like, wow, he went through a much worse failure and now he's come through and he's now successful. That puts it in perspective a lot. When we're the only ones experiencing our downs, they feel so big. But when we have the perspective of somebody else's, it's like, oh, okay, this is not just me. I'm not the only person who hasn't got it figured out. Exactly. And I think an important thing to remember for people listening is that we often hear people's so-called failure stories in the context of success. Exactly. You know, we don't hear about that person who, why that moment they're in it and they're thinking of quitting and they possibly could quit for, aside from the protective factors around them, like the people who are telling them, no, you can do this, keep moving forward. But I, yeah, I think that's a good reminder and to know that it's so common. Like, I don't know how many successful business people 
there are that have not got a story like this to tell as well. Oh, and it's not just once, you know, I've, I've had multiple points, multiple low points on my business journey where I've thought, I can't keep doing this. Like, this is just too hard. And every time, luckily that has passed and I've kept going and it's like, it's so worth it. It's so rewarding most of the time. There's always going to be those days where things aren't going right. And yeah, like knowing that that is normal, like it's not until you have a mentor, you have somebody else who has a business in your life to say, hey, that's normal. It will go away. You're not going to feel unmotivated. You're not going to feel like you want to quit forever. It's going to pass. But you don't know that until you have somebody to tell you that. Yeah. So a couple of things you have said is that we should prioritize strategy over tactics and longevity over quick wins. What does that mean in practice? Okay. So strategy over tactics, like let's imagine you are sailing a ship, you're sailing a yacht and your strategy is the direction that you are headed in. And the tactics is what you are doing right now to get to that strategy. So you might be running the engine, you might be trimming the sails, you might be tacking, jiving, doing all of the other sailboat things, but you know where you're headed and you know what, you know roughly what what path you need to take to get there. That's strategy versus tactics. Now, what tends to happen is people will focus on the tactics. They'll say, okay, cool. So I will start by getting Instagram followers or I will start by doing hashtag research. I'm going to start a podcast because that's going to get me more clients. They start by looking at what can I do rather than where am I going? And they kind of end up then just floating aimlessly in the ocean, not really going, they're probably going in circles. So that's what I mean by strategy over tactics. Like once you know where you're going, then you know what you need to do to get there quicker and more effectively. Um, And then long-term over the quick wins, I think, especially in the last couple of years in business, everyone seems obsessed with trying to find or trying to jump on the latest trends before everybody else does. Like they want to be the first person or the first few people to, they want to be the first people to jump on reels or the first people on TikTok or whatever. They want to be on the trends ahead of time because yeah, you know, historically, if you do get on the trends early, yes, you do get a little bit more growth than other people do with those things, but it's not about chasing trends. It's about building something that lasts because once those trends disappear, if you don't have a sustainable business underneath those trends, then as soon as those trends go away, you actually you're left with nothing. It's like building a house on sand. Um, and that and that long for long term over short term can apply to other things. You know, it's like you spend longer writing a blog post than you would for an Instagram caption because that blog post is going to be around a lot longer than that Instagram caption will be. It's going to get a lot more lifespan than the Instagram caption or a long a lot a long time more lot more time spending creating a YouTube video than a TikTok video because the YouTube video is going to have a longer lifespan. Yeah, no, good point. I think that's uh, really pointing to a key skill that many of us, myself included, sometimes struggle with, and that is where to prioritize our time and effort. And in practice, it can be really hard. One thing I've done, because I know this is an area I find more difficult, is apparently cognitively it's easier for us to prioritize between two options so let's say you have a to-do list and you have like 10 things on there it's too overwhelming sometimes to look at those 10 things and go what is the most important out of all of them and if people are finding that in general difficult to do in terms of what I should tackle first and so on one thing I do is I look at the compare two is it more important that I do that Instagram post or that I edit the podcast is it more important that I go and put the laundry on or do you know and so on. And I think that's a sort of little thing I use, a tactic for prioritizing, but work in progress. I like that. Admitted. I like that. So um, a concept that I came across a few years ago, but I was recently reminded of, and I think it's, I think James Clear came up with this and it's the concept of time assets versus time debts. So for example, you could be doing something that's going to get you more time in the future. It's going to win you more time back in the future. That's a time asset. Or you could be doing something that's going to cost you time in the future. Um, in a business context, it's something like creating an online course. That's a time asset because now that's 
you don't have to work one-on-one with the client to deliver that outcome because you've got an online course that's created doing that. But taking on a new client, that's a client debt because now in the future you need to service that client. Yeah. I like that. James Clay always has some good ones. The one the the one that's so been good. on my mind this week has been you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. And I think that yes. also links because it's like what can you build in terms of a time asset there is what things can I have in place to automatize my behavior so that it becomes more habitual rather than even expending the the energy, for example, that it takes to go like, oh, what's next? But yeah, think of ways that you can streamline things by creating systems, essentially, whether that's with digital and structure. Or, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I think, I think especially like for creative brained people, lack of structure is just it's a recipe for overwhelm but if you have okay every every morning at 7 a.m I sit down at my desk and I write for an hour or every morning when I sit down at my desk the very first thing I do and this is what I actually do the very first thing I do is I look at my content calendar for that day and I make sure that everything that needs to go out is going out like most of the stuff can be scheduled but not everything so you know that's structure and that just ensures that we're being consistent because my entire life, like I have ADHD. I've always said, I'm not a consistent person. I can't be consistent. And I realized actually, no, I can put structure in place to facilitate that consistency. No consistency is not my strength, but with structure, with systems, with processes, with automations, we can make it happen. And I think, yeah, you fall to the level of your systems. I love that. Mm. Now going back over to the strategy tactics. I love that in terms of the strategy. I see that as the, we we have a clear vision and we know the direction that we need to go in. Do you have any advice or reflections on people actually forming their vision? Because I think more often than not, maybe this also links to another James Clear quote, God, I seem like such a fangirl. <laughs> he, he says, um, essentially we think that we lack in motivation but actually what we're lacking in is clarity. And more often than not, we think, oh, I just don't have what it takes to, to get back on track or to make this thing work. But actually we're lacking in the clarity of what it is we're actually working towards. And I think why there is so much reluctance for people to niche down, going back to what you spoke about earlier, is they don't really know who they want to talk to and they don't really know what exact thing that they want to do. And actually taking that step to find that clearer vision is really hard. Do you have any advice or reflections on that? Uh, Yeah, this is something I've struggled with my entire life. And I actually, I was, I had a conversation with my therapist about this because I was like, why is everybody else around me have such clear 10-year visions, five-year visions? And every time I come up with one, like a month later, I've changed my mind and I don't want that anymore. And, you know, she said, she's like, you know what, maybe you're just not meant to have that long-term vision yet. Maybe it's going to come to you later. So for me, it's really like, I I envision certain things like I know what I want in five years, certain aspects of it, but I don't know exactly everything. But I do have shorter term vision. So I know like what I want to achieve this year. I know what we're achieving as a business in this first quarter. And I think especially now with a team, it really is so important because if I don't know where I'm going, then how are they supposed to know where they're going? So that kind of forced me to (laughs) that forced me to get my ducks in a row a little bit. Um, but yeah, I don't actually think if you, you don't have to have that huge, big five-year vision to formulate a strategy. If you know what you want to achieve in the shorter term, great. That can be a shorter term strategy with tactics to back it up. Yeah. And it makes me think of, I was listening to a short podcast with a coach called Marie Folio, US based coach. And one thing that she said that so resonated with me because hands up, I totally struggle with this too. She says, clarity comes from engagement, not thought. So clarity comes from engagement, not thought. You've got to find a way to get involved in what you're interested in, in some capacity and give yourself permission to experiment, which is what so much of us don't do. We feel like we've got to think it all over in our heads or write it all down on a Google doc or on a paper diary or something, and that we're going to have all the answers before we start. And that's often not the case. And she says, you know, whether you're thinking about quitting your job right now, you don't like it and you've always had this passion for baking, but you're not sure. She says, go and volunteer at a bakery one day a week before you make that decision. 
taking that action and engaging in the direction that you want to go in will give you much more than it will you sitting there thinking it over in your head that you're going to get all the answers. And I think a key piece, yeah. And I think a key piece to that is because it's easier to visualize the reality of what life could be like by actually experiencing it to make sure that our you know, our mind could be like, oh, I'm thinking about this new business and this is what my life's going to look like. But instead, you're just thinking about the freedom to go to hairdressers whenever you want and that yeah. you can, well, <laughs> you know, and actually not thinking about the other uh, downsides to that. So actually seeing it in in real life as such makes it much more tangible. And also we have the feeling in our body, you know, like I, if I think to before starting this podcast, okay, I've always been a talker. My family probably always said like, oh, shut up, Shannon, you know, or, or done, get off one of your lectures. You know, it, it, people had that idea of me, but then I had before starting this, a bank of memories to reflect on that would give me an indication of whether I would like this. And that was, for instance, being on stage, I used to do acting and, and singing. I used to teach debating in, in high schools, after school debating classes. And I really realized that I like talking with people and helping them get better at unlocking their full potential and so on. And it was a clue because my body lit up like a Christmas tree. It was like, I love this. Like I feel full of joy and I'm alive. And we want that, but sometimes we don't know how we sometimes don't give ourselves permission to feel that I think and explore it because the fear clouds us or the shame or whatever it gets in the way of actually going wow this could actually be the thing for me and I have what it takes and I trust that I don't have all the answers right now but they will come it will come I can seek it out yeah and another thing to add to that is it's also a really good feedback loop so like a lot of the time when we're sitting there waiting to be ready to take action we're waiting for all of the answers we don't realize that we can't actually get some of those answers until we start taking action like I'll use the business example again because I think it's just such an obvious example we might be sitting there thinking like oh I have an idea for a business but I don't know if it's any good so I'm gonna write a business plan I'm gonna think about it a bit more I'm gonna maybe do some research none of those things are a substitute for putting the idea out there talking to a potential client saying, hey, is this something you'd be interested in? And getting that yes or that no, which I mean, rejection hurts, but it's a great lesson because now we know what they don't want. We know what doesn't work. So we've got that feedback loop. Now we can go back to the drawing board. We can come up with another idea. We can go out there, try it again. And it becomes this process rather than like, oh, I have to be, I have to wait for everything to be perfect and then I can take action. No, um, Another thing that I came across, I think it was yesterday, actually, from Sean Puri. He's really great if you follow him. And he talks about the ABZ process for success or for getting out of overwhelm. And Z is the goal. It's what you want to achieve. A is where you are right now. B is your next step. That's all you need to know is where you are right now, what your next step is, and what that end goal is. And taking action on that next step that gives you that feedback loop that then prepares you for the next step and then the next step. And then eventually you get there. But if you're waiting to know what all of the other 26 letters in between A and Z or 24 letters between A and Z are, you're going to be waiting a very long time because you're not going to know what they are until you get there. Yeah. And I suppose this goes without saying, but reflecting on your, how many years is it now since you decided to leave corporate until now? More or less. Um, like seven-ish years Okay. Now. <laughs> so going back, I hear, okay, you're not the seven-year plan kind of girl, but no. was there any clues as to kind of what your aspirations were at that point versus where you're at now? It was a long road, but I am actually living very much in alignment with the things that, with a lot of the things that I thought I wanted back then. You know, I'm so lucky. I get to travel a lot. I have a business where I have that freedom to travel. I spent a month over in Europe last year working from there. I took two weeks off to go hiking through the outback with, you know, no internet the entire time. I, in 2021, I spent a month driving around Australia in a van with no internet. Like all of those things, when I quit my corporate job, that was at the back of my mind was I want to be able to travel more. I have a dog now. I never had the flexibility or the freedom to have a dog when I was in corporate. I have a house now. Um, 
you know, that back then was like a, a distant memory or distant, uh, sorry, distant dream was like, oh, maybe one day I'll have a house. Um, so yeah, I am, I am very much in alignment with those things. I, there's a few things where I'm like, oh, I thought I wanted that, but maybe I don't, uh, you know, like the really flashy things and I don't necessarily need those things. I'm happy not with not having them, but yeah, like the general vision is aligned with what yeah. I thought I would have. And did that take regular reflection or was it just so present for you in terms of, I know what I want, not necessarily the reality of the business operations itself, but the, I want the freedom and flexibility that that was just so present in your mind that it would have been hard for you to steer in another direction. Or did you have to consistently say, no, that's setting me, that's removing my freedom and I need to steer back in another direction. It was, yeah, it's more, it's more that the, it, it's more the, I started to take it for granted. I started to forget what life without the freedom and flexibility was like. And I actually, there was a point where I was like, oh, maybe I should quit and just go and get a job. Like I'm so over the roller coaster. Uh, this was a few years ago. I was so over the roller coaster. I was tired of, you know, having money in my bank account one month and then not the next month. And I thought, you know what, maybe if I just go and get a job, I've got that stability, that security. And I actually had to remind myself, hey, the trade-off of this, yeah, you get stability and security, but you lose your freedom and flexibility that you have now. And one might seem really attractive right now because you don't have that stability and security, but then as soon as you have that, you're going to miss the freedom and flexibility. So yeah, I had to really like, it's, it's a lot of it is weighing up what you value. And for me, like I know that adventure is a really big part of a big value of mine so is freedom and being in an office working for somebody else I don't get either of those Mm, love it Enneagram 7 showing right there (laughs) listeners we bonded on this I message I actually found (laughs) Steph by mutually following an Instagram account for Enneagram 7s which are these enthusiastic types and stuff so uh, (laughs) yes I totally agree I'm very much the same adventure and freedom yes let's go (laughs) I think most I actually think most entrepreneurial types are 7s I know a lot of 7s okay Interesting. Well, I'm going to go over to the final fast few questions now, Steph. And I wanted to start by asking, is there something that you used to believe that you no longer believe? Yeah, I used to believe that hard work equals success, that you have to work really, really hard. You have to outwork everybody else if you want to be successful. Um, You know, like the hours in equals the output that you get. And I've realized like, yes, you have to work hard to build a business, but actually the people who work the hardest are not always the most successful. And it's more about knowing the right things to do and being really wise with where you spend your time. It's with, you know, creating those time assets rather than time debts. Uh, It's having that strategy rather than blindly chasing tactics. It's prioritizing long form things. It's working on your business rather than in your business. And by doing those things, by putting the hard work in to build those things, that then gives you the freedom to actually not work as hard. Uh, I mean, for me, I love, I love working, but I also love having the freedom to put my fingers in other pies, to try other projects, to see what other things I enjoy doing rather than just working on the same thing every day. So yeah, I don't think it's, it's not, you, you don't have to work super, super hard to be successful. Love it. Number two, is there one quote or affirmation that resonates with you that you'd like to share? Yes. Um, I think this one's actually really relevant to what we've talked about today. It's a quote from, uh, I think it's called Deep Work by Cal Newport. It's the, the quote is, clarity about what matters provides clarity about what does not. Ooh. Break that down and why that's important for you. Okay. So, I mean, if you think about, okay, so if you know where you are going straight away, you can see, okay, this thing's not going to get me there this thing that's on my to-do list, that's not building the business that I want to get. Or this, this distraction that I've got, that I'm doing right now. Like let's say, let's say for example, you are in a job and you might be thinking about starting a side hustle and that's, you've got that vision of one day you're going to have this business. You're going to get out of your job and you're going to have the freedom and the flexibility. And that really matters to you. But then every weekend your friends are going out partying and you find that you're too hungover on Sunday to spend any time working on the side hustle or you're just too busy. You're always out with friends. But actually, if you know that, yes, your friends might be important, but actually this bigger vision matters, 
suddenly it becomes a lot easier to say, no, I'm not going to go out this weekend. I'm just going to stay home and work on this this side hustle that I have. Right. I'm getting the theme of this with the clarity and the vision and the strategy over tactics. It's that, okay, reflect (laughs) on this. (laughs) And lastly, what is one final message that you would give our listeners who are thinking of starting over in their career, but unsure of whether to take the leap? Yeah, I think fear is a good thing. I think we're so conditioned to believe that it's not a good thing, that it's like a a warning sign that we shouldn't do it. But I actually think fear is a really good thing because it shows you what matters to you. It's like, it's this compass that's like saying, hey, go in this direction. This is where you will grow. Because we only really, we feel afraid when it's something that matters to us. And we don't really feel anything if it's something we don't care about. Like if you, you feel afraid that you might get your heart broken by the person that you love, but you don't feel afraid that, the person down the road is going to break your heart because you don't really know them. Um, so, you know, like that's because that the one person matters to us, but the other, we don't know. And I think, yeah, like if you're, if you're thinking, oh, like I want to do this scary thing, but it's terrifying. That's a sign that it's interesting to you. That's a sign that you potentially need to pursue that. And it's a sign that you're potentially going to grow in the process of doing that. Uh Yeah. So Love it's, that. I, and you know, like you, know, it's it's gonna get less scary. The more you tiptoe in that direction, the less scary it will feel. Will feel, and it's like the plunge pool that we talked about earlier, right? Dip that toe in, then dip the ankle in, then dip your knee in, and then like one day you'll be completely underwater, and you'll be like, oh, I remember when I couldn't even put my knee in the water. Yeah. Love it. An important message to finish on. Steph, thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your story, giving us some tips on entrepreneurship and mindset. And yeah, it's been a treat. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lovely conversation. 